0: Dan started us off last week on a new series, uh, give a great talk uh, laying down the foundations in uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians and um, we're gonna, I'm going to continue this morning in this great letter. Normally uh, this time of the year as a church we um, work through very often a new testament uh, uh, series last year. Can any of you remember what we did last year? Can any of you remember what you did last week? No, we won't go there. I, my, two, Corinthians, two Corinthians, and then the year before we did about four months on one Corinthians. Well, this year it's Philippians, but there are only four chapters in Philippians. So uh, it's not going to be over any of the quicker, by the way. I just wanted to tell you that. Okay. I love hearing stories about how new churches get planted new churches get started and the ways very often in which uh, so many people come to know Jesus and very often there's the miraculous being done uh, amongst uh, new church plants and I still enjoy telling stories of the early days of the, the church that Julie and I helped to plant in South Wales and uh, it was it was a great time we were there for three years and during a particular period of time it was a season you could say that we just saw conversions happening daily marriages put being put back together and addictions broken and we look back with fondness uh, upon that time and it was just quite amazing what god was doing there and it was a special season of blessing now Nicky gumbel most of you know nikki gumbel the architect of the alpha course he tells the story of his friend, Kerry Dixon, who went to the Philippines with uh, other church workers in November 1992 to work alongside the Christians there. Let me read to you what Nikki writes. One day, Kerry and his team went to speak to an isolated tribe called the Taboli in Lake Cebu. It involved walking for several hours through rough terrain and mountain tracks over paddy fields and plantations. They took with them two interpreters, a Filipino pastor who translated English into Cebuano, which could then be translated by a Taboli member into his own language. At about 8pm after nightfall, word spread that white people had arrived. The tribe emerged from the darkness to gather by the light of flaming torches. Kerry then spoke about Jesus through the two interpreters to the group of people who had never heard about him. After the talk, they pushed forward a middle-aged man, blind from birth, who was well known and respected throughout the village. If Jesus was God, they wanted to see him in action. In the hushed silence, Kerry laid his hands on the man and prayed for Jesus to heal him. He then asked if the man could see. He replied through the the interpreters that he could see flickering lights through the darkness. After he prayed a second time, he could make out Kerry's outline in front of him. The third time Kerry prayed, there was no need for any interpretation. The man was jumping for joy and praising the living God who had performed a miracle before their eyes. All 50 people present that night were converted and a new church was begun. And that church is still growing. Now the church at Philippi was a little bit like that church at Tiboli and it was founded by an extraordinary show of God's power and we can read about this um, in Acts 16 and maybe that probably most of us here this morning will know that uh, the book that comes after the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts is the history book of the earliest uh, Christians and it's written by Luke who writes a gospel by his name as well. And uh, it starts just after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, and it finishes um, about AD 62. And uh, on that occasion, Paul is in a a Roman prison or under Roman house arrest. And in those 28 chapters, they cover a span of about just over 30 years. Well, in about AD 50, (laughs) Paul along with his mate Silas commenced a second missionary journey to go and take the good news of Jesus throughout the Roman Empire and eventually landed up in the first European city of Philippi and Luke tells us that they were traveling through what is today modern Turkey and as they were traveling through the Holy Spirit prevented Paul and Silas from going into certain provinces that they intended to go into And rather annoyingly um, Luke tells us the Holy Spirit prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time chapter 16 verse 6 and also says that the spirit of Jesus or the Holy Spirit didn't allow them to go into the province of Bithynia okay Luke thank you for that I find it very annoying actually because I'm asking the question how did the holy spirit prevent them going into these various places and i want to say to luke come on luke you know don't leave us hanging around here Um, how was it that god communicated this to paul was it through a a dream was it through a vision was it an audible voice from heaven was it some closed door circumstances circumstances that paul assumed that god was just closing this door Well, we've got those questions, but we're not told. But we are told that Paul had a vision from a man from Macedonia, which is in northern Greece, where the um, city of Philippi was located. And this vision said, come over here. In other words, come over to Philippi and help us. And that's where we're going to pick up the story today. So we've got quite a long reading. Uh, If you've got your Bibles, I always encourage you to bring your Bibles on a Sunday morning. Uh, just check out what uh, Dan and I are saying, and it's good as well to feel you, to know your way around your, your Bibles. But for those who have not come, I'll put the text on screen. Acts chapter 16, verse 11. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight to Samothrace, and the next day we went to Neapolis, When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Let me just stop there for a moment. Um, The persuaded us. Uh, Well, who is the us? Well, we know that Paul and Silas were on this journey. We know that they picked up Timothy on the way, so there was Timothy with them as well. But who's writing this, uh, this book of Acts? It's Luke. So just a little bit of uh, detective work going on there. So we've got Paul, we've got Silas, we've got Timothy, but we've also got Luke, the doctor, one of the greatest historians of all time, who is an eyewitness of all that was going on. So he's not just reporting about what others had said, he himself was there. Okay, moving on. Verse 16 Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realised that uh, their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into a marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar. By advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in, 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 in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, them, "And asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. God was at work. First of all, we find God at work in preventing Paul and Silas going into provinces that they were not to be in. Closed doors. God was at work in the sense that he gave Paul a vision of this man of Macedonia saying, come over here to Philippi, come and help us. We see God at work in opening, I love the way that Luke, Luke puts that, opening Lydia's heart. We see God at work through Paul, in casting out this evil spirit of the slave girl. And it was God who sent the earthquake when Paul and Silas were jailed. Paul, following a short time at Philippi, left to go on his missionary journeys and got to visit uh, Philippi on two further occasions in the years that followed. Okay, what I want you to do now is fast forward about ten years. And now we find ourselves in Acts chapter 28. Paul has had three missionary journeys and now he finds himself under house arrest in Rome. He's chained to a Roman soldier 24-7. He's awaiting trial by Caesar. Um, It could go either way for him. He could be released. He could be killed. So what did Paul do with his time? Well, he wrote four letters, we, uh, four letters, and we know that three of those letters were to various churches and one was to a friend of his, and I'm sure if I were to uh, test you on this this morning you'd probably know which letters those are. Uh, they're letters which are found in our New Testament, the letter to, of, uh, to the Philippian church, to the Colossians, and um, the letter to the uh, Ephesians, and there was a personal letter as well to his friend philemon and all those were written from his time under house arrest when he was in rome and paul wrote a number of reasons and i'm not going to say much about this because dan dealt with this very very well last week first of all he wrote to say thank you for a financial gift that they'd sent him and by the time we eventually get to the fourth chapter of uh, philippians we will see that half the chapter is on his thank you to the Philippians for this financial gift that they had given. He wrote to update them on his missionary work and his well-being, also to challenge them over some disunity that was in the church, and they had in the church two uh, conflicting women. Women were at war with each other, Euodia and Syntyche. Just imagine your name going down in history, Uh, or worse still, in the Bible. For Christians of all generations to read because you were having a barney with someone else in the church. Um, and then he wrote also to, co- to help combat, uh, combat some false teachers called Judaizers who were um, cutting in on the church. And we, we'll come back to that in a few weeks. Okay, our second reading. but shorter this time. Philippians chapter 1, we'll read the first 11 verses. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. And Paul here informs the Philippians that he's thankful to God for them. He's filled with joy whenever he thinks about them. And um, this is Paul's warmest letter. You know, you read some of the letters that he writes, Galatians, for example, and he's straight at the juggler, Uh, but not this one. Full of warmth, full of praise. This is his personal letter. And uh, these people were his friends. They were partners in ministry. And there was uh, mutual love and appreciation. Polycarp, who was an early bishop in Smyrna, that's the, the modern city of Izmir in Turkey, and he was a Christian martyr. He tells that Paul boasted about the church of Philippi wherever he went, all around the world, wherever he went, he just boasted of his relationship to this wonderful church. And he was thankful to them. And there was joy in his heart. And that's something that we will find again throughout this letter on a number of occasions, the word joy or rejoicing. On 16 occasions we find that. But don't you find that astounding? I do. You know, here he is emphasising joy and rejoicing. Where was he? (laughs) He was under house arrest, being chained by a Roman soldier 24-7 for two years. But yet that shows us that his joy didn't come from outside external circumstances. His joy came from within. Isn't that true of most Christians? That our joy comes from within. It comes from that relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this, from the first day until now." Now, the word partnership is the Greek word, and we came across it just a few weeks ago as the Greek word koinonia. Um, It's a word that we've come across, uh, say, before, and sometimes it's translated into English as the word fellowship, and it literally means the things that we have in common. Well, what did they have in common? Just think about it. This church at Philippi was certainly a mixed bag. There was Lydia that we just read about a few moments ago, the first convert whose heart was, ho- was opened by the Lord. It says that she was a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. Now, when you dig a little bit deeper about that, um, the purple dye came from a little shellfish called the murex, and one drop could be obtained from each shellfish and therefore it cost hundreds of pounds for every print. So Lydia was undoubtedly a wealthy businesswoman, probably, probably in the top bracket in society, the millionaire class. Who else do we know was in this church at Philippi? Well, there was the jailer and his family. He was a Roman official, sturdy, respectable, dependable middle class, who formed the civil service of Rome. Who else was there? That was the slave girl, demon possessed, going around following Paul and Silas for a few days saying these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. How annoying that must have been for him. You know, as Dan said last week, probably he could have coped with it for a few minutes or maybe, you know, knowing Paul, possibly even a couple of hours. But this was going on for days. And he turned to her and said in the name of Jesus Christ I command you to come out of her, uh, come out of her. So did, she was set free. So this slave girl would have been probably at the bottom end, uh, uh, bottom part, end of the social scale, away from a stray if you like. What did these people have in common? What did they have in common with each other? Let alone what did they have in common with Paul? That he calls them partners. Well, the thing that they had most in common was Jesus. And Paul tells us of the basis of their partnership in verse 7. He says, all of you share in God's grace with me. The Philippian church was not just a random collection of people with religious interests. They were not just a group of people who roughly believed much the same thing about life. But they were people who had experienced God's grace is unmerited unconditional undeserved favor personally they believed and received Jesus Christ they were forgiven they had accepted God's gift of salvation which comes through faith in Christ and in verse 8 he says I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus you see in purely human terms I doubt whether these people had an awful lot in common with each other You know, Paul probably, as a a famous rabbi, wouldn't have had an awful lot in common with the slave girl, or to think of it, even the jailer and his family. But God had placed a love in his heart for them, and that's something I find absolutely amazing, that God can take people who are so diverse and different, as chalk is, uh, is to cheese, People from different cultures and socioeconomic backgrounds. People with different qualifications. And he can create love in their hearts one for another. You know, these Philippians were like a, a mixed bag. They were a, a box of licorice of all sorts, if you like. Probably as diverse a group of people as you would ever meet. And yet the gospel cut across the, the moral, religious, social divisions in the ancient world. And it didn't matter whether you were a Jew or a Greek or a Roman, didn't matter whether you were a free person or a slave, a male in a patriarchal society or a female, didn't matter if you were a clean living religious person or some immoral follower of a pagan fertility cult, no one had a head start and no one was disqualified. It was a level playing field. And nothing has changed today. It's exactly the same. And this morning, you might be a person here with, uh, who's had the worst possible background and upbringing. You might, as a child, have been neglected or abused. You might have had in your life some addiction, spent years in prison. You might have messed up. You might have wasted every opportunity that has ever come your way. Your life might be full of remorse and guilt and shame. But God wants you to know, that you are not disqualified. Paul writes somewhere else that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And equally, some of you might have been brought to church since you were babies. Your parents are Christians, your grandparents are Christians, every person in your family are Christians. You might know the bible back to front and inside out you might know how to find the book of habakkuk without looking in the index (laughs) show off you might have memorized all 111 verses of the sermon on the mount but you still still don't get a head start you have nothing to boast about boast about because you are as in need of god's grace as much as the person who has worked the streets as a prostitute Or her pimp who is making a living out of her misery um, the ground at the foot of the cross is level ground no one is so good that they don't need Jesus Christ and there is no one so bad that somehow they are disqualified and I don't know about you that is a truth that so motivates and stimulates my faith big time it's amazing That God can take people from diverse backgrounds and cultures and races to become his people, to become his special people. Called out of this world to become his own people, but sent back into the world to be his people in society, to be his kingdom people. How God does that, wow. Uh, That's some party trick, isn't it, really? You know, if I told you this morning... I'm not going to, but if I just said, you know, turn around and look around to the people around you. I just wonder how many of you would have anything in common with those sat next to you or around you if it hadn't been for Jesus. Be honest. God takes diverse, disparate people from all backgrounds and cultures and he makes them one in him. He creates love in our hearts. And he calls us to partner him in mission. If that's not good news, I don't know what is. (coughs) So they were partners with Paul in the good news. But what did this partnership look like in practical terms, and how does that apply to us today? Very, very important. Well, first of all, they were partners in practical needs. You see, it wasn't possible for the Philippians who were living in northern Greece for the whole church to go to visit Paul in Rome. They couldn't just jump on an aeroplane. They couldn't just leave their jobs of work and their families. They had responsibilities as we have responsibilities. So what they did was they sent one of their own church members, possibly one of their leaders, a man by the name of Epaphroditus. And they sent him to Rome to take care of Paul's needs. And we're going to learn some more about Epaphroditus in a few weeks' time. The Philippians could never, ever be accused of being too heavenly-minded for any earthly use. You know, sometimes that's uh, uh, spoken of as Christians, or Christians don't bother with them too heavenly-minded for any earthly use. There is no way that the Philippians could be accused of that. They didn't just say, Paul will pray for you. God bless you, Paul. You're... In our thoughts and prayers and uh, we're right behind you Paul bless you brother no but they actually did something and I really like people like that I love James who has a letter in the New Testament after him and James he's not full of uh, super spiritual words James is a guy that calls it as he sees it he's real he's down to earth and he writes this in his letter And the Philippian Christians were practical Christians. And right at the start, you remember when Lydia came to faith, it was no sooner that she had come to faith that she was wanting to meet the needs of Paul and Silas and uh, Timothy and and Luke. Come and stay at my home, she said. She wouldn't take no for an answer, offering hospitality. This brand new Christian, Realised that everything that she had was due to God's blessing. She realised that she belonged to God and just wanted to respond to the needs of these servants of God. Because she had received so much from him himself. So much from God. So that's the first area that we see the, um, the, the Philippians. But also we see that they helped with financial needs and the main reason why Paul wrote this letter was to thank the Philippians for the gift that they had blessed Paul with and he was just overwhelmed by their generosity now we're not going to spend too much time in this this morning but we're going to just jump on about three and a half months okay and we're going to just jump into chapter four and have a look at a couple of verses there so that we get an understanding of this chapter 4 verses 14 to 16 yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Now, that's quite an amazing thing for Paul to write. First of all, his, um, their, their giving was exceptional. Verse 15. Not one church cha- shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. It was persistent. In verse 16. You sent me aid again and again when I was in need. And the verse that we're looking at this morning in chapter 1 verse 5, that they were partners in the gospel from the first day until now. In other words they didn't just send a one-off gift But they were persistent they were determined and they were continued in their in in their uh, support they were generous now last year we studied uh, together two corinthians and if you remember you know sort of cast your minds back to this time last year uh, paul is writing to the corinthians in south greece to tell them uh, to put their hands a little bit deeper into their pockets to give a gift for the very poverty-stricken Christians in Jerusalem. Do you remember that? Uh, Three of you, that's good. I'm feeling very encouraged (laughs) here. And what he does is he holds up an example to them. And he holds up the example of the Macedonian Christians up in Northern Greece to say, if you want to see what giving is like, And you want a good example look at these Macedonian Christians okay and um, so I'm just going to go back into 2 Corinthians 8 for a moment Paul writing say to the Christians and he's speaking about the Macedonians and now brothers and sisters we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian Christians in the midst of a very severe trial their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Again, let's not lose what's happening here. Paul writing to the Corinthians in South Greece, encouraging them to give a gift to the poverty-stricken Christians who had gone through famine, in Jerusalem, and he's holding up the Macedonians as a good example of um, of giving. Hang on a second. What province? In what province is Philippi? Macedonia. So when Paul attempts to encourage the Corinthians to be a bit more generous than they were, he provides the Philippians as The best example of giving, look at the words again that he uses there. Rich generosity, gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. So their giving was exceptional, persistent, generous, but it was also spontaneous. Even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. In other words, they weren't cajoled, they weren't forced, they weren't blackmailed. They just wanted to give out a full hearts. And you see, our finances, and I know that we don't take a, a Sunday offering, and that's very, very deliberate, and uh, it's important to us. It isn't... Uh, sorry, the, the point I was going to say, I'm getting confused, was that um, our finances can go where we can't. That was certainly true of the Philippians They couldn't go and do what Paul was doing as as a missionary. But their finances went out to support him and their money could go where they couldn't go themselves. And their sacrificial giving allowed Paul and his companions to reach the lost. And I believe that their reward in heaven would be no less than Paul's reward. So they were partners in the good news, in practical needs, financial needs, but also prayer needs. Now there's no mention in this letter of the Philippians praying for Paul, though I think that we can safely assume that they did pray for him. But we do learn about Paul praying for them because partnership goes both ways, doesn't it? Paul doesn't pray for material things but he prays for spiritual things. Verse 9, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In a few words, what is Paul praying for there? He is essentially, I believe, praying for their growth in holiness. He is praying that God might make them more like Jesus. I came across a great quote by uh, the broadcaster and journalist, uh, Mal- Malcolm Muggridge a few days ago when he wrote about Mother Teresa. And this is, this is, th- these are his words. When I first set eyes on her, I at once realized that I was in the presence of someone of unique quality, uh, sorry, unique quality. That was not due to her appearance, which is homely and un- unassuming so that words like charm and charisma do not apply, nor to a shrewdness and quick understanding, though these are very marked, nor even to a manifest piety and true humility and ready laughter. There is a phrase in one of the Psalms for me evokes her presence, the beauty of holiness, that special beauty amounting to a kind of luminosity generated by a life dedicated wholly to loving God and his creation. And that's what I believe that Paul here was praying for his friends at Philippi. He was praying for the beauty of holiness, for that luminosity. What a great word, isn't it? luminosity. God's radiance shining through their lives. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I will always pray for you because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And this morning, as I come into land, we are also all partners in the gospel. We all have a part to play. The ministry is not about those who are only just those who are being uh, those who are pastors. It is not just about. Uh, full-time people called into ministry. It's about every Christian, young and old. It doesn't matter whether you've been on the journey with Christ many decades or you're brand new to to the faith. Ministry is about you and we're partners in this gospel together. You see, partnership is about action. And the challenge, I think, for all of us today is not to be a spectator, sitting on the sidelines Uh, watching others do all the work. I once heard someone say that church is a little bit like a a football match. You've got 22 exhausted people doing all the work on the park with 22,000 maybe uh, sitting in the stands, people who need some exercise, um, just watching on. Well, they obviously weren't speaking of Tramothelium Church. I worked out just the other week Of what our church family offers in volunteer hours every week and it worked out to over 400 volunteer hours every week by our congregation which is the equivalent of more than 10 full-time workers and I would say that you are quite astonishing you are an amazing example of this partnership I may I encourage you this morning if you're a regular attender in this church and you see Tamworth Eliam as your spiritual family and you're presently not involved in uh, partnering with us to share the good news of Jesus through our many community ministries and you're really not sure what you could do come and have a chat with Dan or me and we'd love to sit down and just talk with you about how you can also get involved in this we're also partners through financial giving you know, as we were saying about the Philippians, that they have finances to Paul, they, that went where they couldn't go themselves. And our finances can go where we can't go. And some of you, I know, um, have been ministering to orphans and widows in Malawi and other places, even though you have never stepped foot in any of those countries, because you have enabled others, people like Jackie, uh, that uh, she is very much your hands and feet, But nevertheless, we are partners together in what we do. Also, through your regular giving to the the work and ministry of the church, you enable pastors and youth workers and other staff members to serve God in a full-time capacity. You see, the only finance that we have coming into this church to pay salaries and ministry areas and maintenance and utility bills and other costs is through the gracious giving of our church members. There are no central funds, there are no offshore accounts in Bermuda or the Cayman Islands that we can tap into. It would be great if we could, but we, we don't have any of those. What is graciously given by our church family here? We have to serve the purposes of God through our church. And I just want to say thank you this morning. You know, I know I've said many times before that I haven't got a clue what anybody gives in this church. And I, that was a request I made 25 years ago, and um, it's, it's still something that I, uh, I, I abide to. I have no idea about anything. Obviously, I know the bottom line, um, but I know nothing at all. And therefore, I can speak very freely about these things. Um, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you, thank you. I know that for many of you, or I imagine that for many of you, you will give sacrificially to the work because you believe in what we're about. You believe that, that this is a church family that is reaching out and doing the work of God in this community and seeing lives changed. And I just wanna say thank you this morning, this opportunity for doing that. And finally, we want your partners in prayer. You know, if your money can go where you can't go, so do your prayers. And please pray for the leaders and for the ministry areas um, where we are serving. And uh, tonight, as Dan said earlier on, we're going to be meeting for communion, but we're also going to be meeting for prayer. And we're going to be praying for Alpha. We're going to be praying for the youth weekend, praying that God will touch the lives of many of our young people. So do come along at 7 o'clock and join with us. If you are someone who really is someone who gets aside to pray, And we want to partner with you. And we want you to become our prayer partners. And if you um, want to find out more about that, please have a chat with uh, James or Carol. And uh, we want you to come alongside us and empower the work of ministry within this fellowship, which is your spiritual family. Let's pray together. Thank you.